Mountain. It's good to be with you all. My name is Jared Fox. I'm the high school pastor here, and I, uh, I lead our student ministries team. I just got to start out by saying what a, what a privilege it is to have the position that I'm in to watch uh, students as they grow to understand and know uh, who Jesus is as their Lord and Savior. And so I just want to make an invitation. If you're a middle schooler or high schooler here with us today, uh, man, I would love for you to join us. If you haven't experienced that community before, come check it out. Uh, my guess is that you'll be pleasantly surprised that you did. Uh, and it just so happens that this, this weekend, tonight, up in Cook Auditorium, is uh, our one chance to gather for the summer. From all three campuses, students are going to come together and hang out. And so we'd love, love, love for you to join us for that. Well, a few weeks ago, we started a new series called Crazy Eights. And Luke kicked us off as we started to dive in and try to understand the seemingly crazy words that Jesus uses in the Bible. Because in Scripture, we see some crazy things. And you guys know how it is. Even in your own life, you see some things that are crazy, right? Um, you've witnessed something, you, you've seen it firsthand, and you look at it and you think, wow, that, that's crazy. That's my only response that I could have. And then there's other moments where you hear about something, right? Somebody told you something that happened, and maybe it's disbelief, but all you can say in response is, well, I don't know about that. That sounds, that sounds pretty crazy. But there's the other sort of crazy, and that's the crazy that you actually get to participate in. The sort of crazy where you're there in the moment and you finish it, you do whatever the thing is that seems absolutely crazy, and all you can do is stand up and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. That was crazy. A few years back, I was new to Mountain and just moved here, and a bunch of students and leaders decided to go caving. They invited me to go along with them. And in a moment of not wanting to show weakness, I decided to go. But i got to be honest with you. I know to a lot of people, the idea of caving sounds like fun. Um, to me, not, not so much. Uh, the idea of placing myself in between two giant rocks that at any moment could move and crush me does not sound like a good time. Uh, maybe it's a little bit of claustrophobia, maybe not. But I decided to go with them. And we go up to see this cave, and we walk up to the entrance. They show me the entrance, and it, it doesn't look that bad. It's tall, I can walk in, the walls are far enough apart to where I can literally just walk, and I can see back into the darkness, and it is a little bit daunting, but um, it's not terrifying quite yet. And they say, well, let's, let's show you the exit. And so they walk me up to the other side of the cave, and we, we come to this place where we see this giant rock, and then grass. And they say, there's the exit, and I, I look really close, I'm like, I don't, I don't see an exit, guys, you messing with me? And one of the leaders leans down and he pulls back this grass. And there it is, a hole about that big around. Nicknamed the birth canal for obvious reasons. <laughs> they said, that's where we're coming out. And I start to panic. I'm like, no way. And so I, I, I choose a strategy. I decide I'm going to enter the cave by following my buddy, Jared Harkins. He's one of our student ministry leaders. He's got a couple inches on me and a couple pounds on me, so I decided if I stay right behind him, I'll be safe. Anywhere he can go, obviously, I can go. And so we start this, this journey into the cave, and we start walking through, and we're going through all these nooks and crannies, and I am, I am terrified. I get in this one spot lodged in between these rocks, sort of freaking out, but I follow, I follow Jared. And then we come to the end. And we look up, and as we look up, we see the rocks as they start to climb, and as the walls start to become more and more and more narrow, until at the very end, all you see is this little dot of light pouring through. 
And Jared says, let's do it. And he starts climbing. And against every desire of my heart, I follow him. And we make our way up and we're climbing over these rocks and we get up there and Jared, this big dude, he puts his hands through the hole and just like yanks himself out. It was so quick, so amazing. I was blown away. I got some motivation. I was like, yeah, I can do this. I know I can do this. And so I get up there and I put my hands through this little bitty hole and I, I start to pull myself out and I get right about like this and my shoulders get lodged in between these rocks and this moment of extreme panic comes over me and I say, Jared, dude, you better get me out of here right now. And he reaches down and he grabs me and he yanks me out and I jump to my feet and all I could say was, oh my gosh, that was crazy. I can't believe I just did that. Oh my gosh. And all the kids are sort of sitting around laughing at me like, this loser scared of that. But it was this moment of complete craziness for me. But here's what's interesting. Now that I had done it, now that I had participated in the crazy, I had like the sense of accomplishment, the sense of pride, the sense of wanting to actually do it again and maybe even do something a little bit harder. It was motivational. It spurred me on. And that's the kind of crazy that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. That we look at this section of Scripture and we, the Beatitudes are this beautiful display of craziness that we are called to participate in. Participate in. And it's beautiful. We start to realize that Jesus looks at culture and actually flips it on its head. He sees what we value, what we hold close, what we see important, and he turns our world upside down so that we see what he values, what he holds close, what he sees as important. And it seems crazy to us, but it's what the kingdom of God looks like. It's backwards, it's different, it feels foreign to us, but it's the only way to live. And so Jesus starts the greatest sermon of all time, by telling us how to live a crazy, different life. Two weeks ago, Luke started us off by talking about the poor in spirit, how we are blessed when we're at the end of our rope, forced to admit this need for God, our true understanding of happiness and joy comes when our blessing can't fully be known without understanding the poorness of our spirit. And last week, Nathan talked about how blessed we are when we mourn, then in our mourning, we realize this deep, sincere need for God to comfort us. That He, and only He, is the one who can bring us true hope and happiness, even in our moments of mourning. And then we move down the chain to the third beatitude. In the first two, we see, kind of see this underlying theme of reliance, surrender, fully engaging God for His strength and for His comfort. And those things are key to us fully understanding the third beatitude. And if you weren't here the past couple weeks, I'd encourage you to go online and listen to those sermons because they really are the foundation of what we're about to learn today. And that is when Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, 5 to say, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that, I kind of like, whoa, the meek? Of all people who are blessed enough to inherit the earth, Jesus, you're going to say that those people are, in fact, the meek? Yeah, that sounds crazy, all right. It absolutely does. 
And what I started to realize as I dig deeper and deeper into this is that most of us actually don't have a clear understanding of what meekness is. And so like any normal person, when I'm unsure what people think, I go to Facebook. <laughs> and I threw out the question, what do you think of when you hear the word meek? And I got answers like weakness, timidity, not willing to speak up, reserved, unassuming, quiet, an old woman. If you're here today and you characterize yourself as an old woman, just remember I'm reading a list. I didn't write this, okay? <laughs> Nervous, shy, wimpy, powerless, smallness, submissive, lacking in presence or charisma. Maybe this is just the joy of working with high schoolers, but one of them responded with the Muppets and posted this picture. So they must have gotten meek and meek a little bit confused. But the overarching theme of what I started to see was this idea of just weakness. I was talking to my friend Jennifer this past week. She's one of our student ministry leaders as well. And we were talking about meekness. And she said, oh, people used to describe me as meek. I said, well, what did they mean when they would say that? And she said, they, they meant that I was weak, that I was a doormat, that they could take advantage of me. And just because of Jennifer's gentle spirit, that naturally gentle demeanor that she has, people thought that they could take advantage of this woman who actually has a lot of strength. And Jesus is talking to those who are naturally bent towards that posture as well as those who are not. And what I started to realize is we actually need to redefine, understand the word before we can move on. Because our definition seems to be skewed and Jesus is in fact redefining meekness for us. See, meekness, there's not really an easy way to explain it. It's sort of this submission to God, but it even goes a step further than that. It's like this beautiful middle ground between complete, unaccounted for freedom and complete robot-like submission. It's finding this balance in the middle. It's the word that's used to describe a domesticated and gentle animal, knowing that his master has his best interest in mind. Meekness is not weakness like so many of us presume, but this word is so pregnant with meaning that I could, I could not find just one word. It ended up being three, and here it is. Meekness is submission, gentleness, and humility. That's the middle ground between unaccounted for freedom and robot-like submission. A few months back, my wife and I got this crazy idea that we would get a dog. The reason this idea is so crazy is because I also have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And we decided, you know, what better time than now? The kids are young. They'll get to love him. And the thing about having a puppy is there's a lot of time that's spent training. There's a lot of time that's spent investing in, showing the puppy that you care. We named him Blue, not because of Blue's Clues, but because I'm a huge Kentucky fan, okay? Don't get those confused. Yeah. And so we named him Blue, and we, just, we have showered Blue with love. And he knows that we love him. We spent some time training him. And a couple weeks ago, my son and I got the idea that we'd go on a hike. And so we grabbed Blue. Hey, let's take the dog. And we went to this place called Kilgore Falls. It's an absolutely beautiful place. You get there and you come around the corner and you see just this beautiful 20 to 25 foot waterfall. It is gorgeous. And we get there and we spend some time playing in the water and hiking. I'm throwing the dog in, trying to teach him to swim. And we're having a great time. But you know... When mom's not around, the boys will play. And so we decided, hey, let's go to the top of the waterfall. That seems like a good idea. And so we start hiking up to the top. And it's actually a pretty gentle path as we head up there. So I let the dog off of his leash. And his eyes 
just go like wide open. Freedom. I'm not on my leash anymore. I can run around. And you see this puppy just start to bolt. And he's running through the weeds and running through the bushes and around the trees and up and down this path. But every now and then, he'd stop and just sort of check. All right, they're still close. And we made our way up to the top and we come to this cliff. And this cliff is right next to the waterfall and you can look down and it's just a beautiful spot. And I look back and Blue is out and he's making his rounds and he's running around like crazy and he comes around this tree towards us at the edge of the cliff and he just takes off in this sort of like silly puppy-like run, not really fully controlling himself, but bolting towards the edge of this waterfall. And as he comes to the edge, he's running full sprint and he goes right off of the side. I'm just kidding. That, that's only something a cat would probably do. He comes to the edge and, and he like slams on the brakes. He comes to a halting stop and he hears me yell, Blue, stop! And he does and he halts to a stop and he turns around and he runs to me and sits down next to me because he heard my voice. He heard my call. I yelled, Blue, stop! And he, he came to a halting stop and ran back. It wasn't weakness that made Blue respond to the Master's command. It was his knowledge that the master had his best interest in mind. It's not that God has us on some sort of a leash. No, he wants us to experience freedom found in Christ. But at the same time, we need to remember that the master knows best and we should submit to him. If I didn't have Blue's trust and respect and love, I wouldn't have been able to help him. My call to him wouldn't have mattered. Just as the poor in spirit describes our own personal recognition of our bankruptcy, meekness describes our public declaration of that same sort of humility and saying that we listen to the Master and we love the Master and we can't truly live without the Master. One author describes it this way. He says, The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, to His Word and to His rod who follow his directions and comply with his design and are gentle towards all people who can bear being provoked without being inflamed by it or either silent or return a soft answer and who can show their displeasure when there's an occasion for it without being transported into indecencies, who can be cool when others are hot and in their patience keep possession of their own soul. Now, meekness is a posture that most of us have to choose to take, to submit to the lordship and guidance of Jesus Christ. But don't get me wrong, there is certainly a second group of people here. It's true that for some of us, this is more naturally our way of being. This gentle way is something that comes out of us naturally. It's the position that we, we choose to take, but it's also the position that's thrust upon us. Whether it's from feeling oppressed, belittled, walked on, without even trying, we are, in fact, meek. But because we're forced into meekness doesn't have to mean that there's weakness. Like it is for my friend Jennifer, some of us find that posture more naturally. And we should look at the words of Jesus here as hope. For he says that those of us who are meek have an inheritance. We are blessed. We can't forget that there's power found in meekness. And Jesus goes on to tell us about the inheritance that will come. And the crazy thing is, in this day and age, inheritance was everything. What was left to you was how you found your value. 
What was passed down to you is where you found your worth. And to a group of people who had been so trampled on and belittled, they found hope for the first time in Jesus saying, you'll have an inheritance. With no livestock or land or wealth being passed on, we see Jesus offering hope and saying that the inheritance is coming. Jesus is making it known that he really cares for the poor, for the beaten down, for the broken and the lonely. And Jesus changes everything for them by saying, you too have an inheritance. He's talking to those who naturally have that posture of meekness, but he's also talking to a second group that I think probably more accurately describes most of us sitting here today. And that's those who struggle with the very reality of pride, of arrogance, of power, and of wealth. And have a hard time lowering their own status to be one that can submit to and look to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We see Jesus only as Jesus can in this moment, making a significant statement that anybody who heard it would have thought, that's crazy. The poor, the weak, the rejected, they now have hope. And the arrogant and the proud and the wealthy now have a new better way to live we see something so beautiful happening in this small verse where jesus changes culture flips it on its head and says don't worry there is hope for everyone not just the people who feel pressed into this position i've heard the word meekness described as the third way of living life's not about trampling over others not about being trampled on it's not about hitting or being hit about wrath or weakness it's not about violence or pacifism but instead it's a new third way that submits to god and gently expresses his love for all it's what jesus meant when he said if someone slaps you on the right cheek turn to them also the other or if someone sues you and takes your tunic let them have your cloak as well or if somebody makes you go a mile choose to go a second mile with them Jesus is not only describing, he is prescribing a new, third, better way that we as the church should live out. A way that says it's not about us, but instead it's about the strength and the power of God through our humility and our gentleness. That's what God calls us to. And for those of us in the second category, meekness is about posture, not power. Understand that meekness is about posture, not power, but choosing the posture of meekness, whether it's thrust upon us or not, allows the power of God to flow through us. We turn ourselves into his vessel and we say, God, this world is actually about how we can serve you rather than ourselves. And we see this in Jesus Christ himself. He chose this way. Matthew 11, it says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, the same word used to translate as meek. And I am humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You can have great power and be meek. You can have no power and be meek. It's submission, it's humility. It's the full reality of surrender, of lowliness, of placing ourselves under the control and the presence of the sovereign God who knows best. And it's crazy 
It's something that doesn't come naturally to most of us. We live in a world, think about it, that says our goals are power and triumph. It's about how well we can do. For the middle schoolers and high schoolers in the room, it's about being the best in your class or your sport. For others, it's about climbing the corporate ladder and thinking about anybody who's in the way. We're taught to succeed, not to pull back, to serve, to be stern and swift, strong and bold. And the world tells us, culture tells us, that's where we find our blessing. It tells us not to be prideful, but to do whatever it takes to build our kingdom right here and right now. My grandpa was uh, an awesome man. A man who loved the Lord. A funny man, but also a man who had a lot of success. And every summer, we'd go down to the lake, and we'd hang out with my grandpa, and he'd take us out on his pontoon. And we'd go out, and as soon as we hit the water, I'll never forget, my grandpa would always start to sing these words. He would say, Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. To know me is to love me. I must be a heck of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. That's my grandpa. And while this song was mostly a joke to him, there's some snippet of reality to it that our culture feeds off success and pride. Yet Jesus calls us to live and participate in a way that is seemingly crazy. It's the opposite. It's humility. It's gentleness. It's submission. It's the good kind of crazy because it's the exact representation of who Jesus was and who he strived to be. And so there it is, meekness redefined, humility, gentleness, submission. We're looking at it through this new lens, and we can see what meekness is. And so what does it mean for us? What do we do with this? Here's what I think meekness does. Two things. First, to choose meekness is to make more of God. This is where submission comes in. I've heard meekness described as a stallion, power under control. But the truth is, meekness is not about powerful people being nice. That's not what it's about at all. Instead, meekness is about our desire to submit to God. It's about the bridle in the horse's mouth saying, somebody else is going to control my life, that I have full trust in them. It's about placing God, elevating him over our life. And when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, he's actually quoting this verse from Psalm 37 that talks all about full surrender and full dependency on who God is. It says, do not fret because of those who are evil or envious, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. And like the green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I've, I've heard that verse used to describe people's justification of stuff and of wealth. But that's not what Jesus, that's not what the Scripture is talking about. It's talking about how when our mind aligns with God's mind, we start to enjoy the desires of our heart because the desires of our heart are also the desires of the Father's heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the new day sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, 
when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek, the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The meek will inherit the land. The meek will receive blessing. This verse just described the meek as those who are willing to submit to, bow down to, take the light in, wait in, and trust on the Lord. And while evil around us may be prosper, we are called to be patient and to be gentle and to be humble and to depend on God and show His love to anyone and everyone. Our meekness, in our meekness, we declare that we do, in fact, trust God and are willing to build His kingdom here rather than our own. That's what we're called to do. And we see this played out so beautifully in the New Testament. There's this guy named John. John's like the first hipster. He eats crazy things. He wears crazy things. He's got the tight jeans and the big beard. But he was also the first one to really know about Jesus. Scripture says that he prepared the way. He spoke of Jesus and pointed to Jesus before Jesus was really on the scene. And people tried to push John into the spotlight. And they would say, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior? Are you the prophet? Are you the one who's come to save us? And what John did is amazing. Well, people tried to raise him up. He raised himself down. He said, I remove the attention from myself. I'm going to step out of the way. I am going to be characterized by blind devotion to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And he exclaims in John 3.30, He must increase and I must decrease. To submit to Jesus is to make much of Him and less of ourselves. Meekness is about living in such a way that pulls Jesus to the center, to the forefront, that everybody who sees us ultimately sees Him. That He is Lord of our life and King. That's what meekness is about. It takes us off of the pedestal and instead places God in His rightful place as King on the throne of our lives. To choose meekness is to make more of God, but to choose meekness is also to make more of others. And this is where humility and where gentleness comes in. Meekness is about loving others regardless of who they are, what their social status is, whether they're your oppressor or your subordinate. It's about loving people, humbling yourself enough to gently express the love of Jesus, considering others better than we would ever consider ourselves. We see the Apostle Paul as he reflects on Jesus' life and how he wants to live. He uses these words. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ and if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having that same love, being one in spirit and one mind, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility and meekness, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's meekness. It's about caring so much for others that you start to care a little bit less about yourself. I'm a, I'm a huge, huge, huge Kentucky basketball fan. Most of the high schoolers here know that. 
Um, one of the reasons is in Kentucky, there's just really nothing to celebrate except for Kentucky basketball. And so I've always kind of taken the posture of being a huge Kentucky fan, and, and I am, and just to have a prideful moment, it's, it's good. It is good to be a fan of a team that is just so good. You know what I mean? Like, no, actually, a lot of you don't know what I mean. Uh, but um, it feels good, right? The idea of cheering for a team that always succeeds, it could be worse. I could be a Vikings fan, uh, but I'm not because I like teams that win. And so I've always chosen to be a Kentucky fan, something I love. And this past season, something absolutely crazy happened. We saw a season unlike any other. Found ourselves at the beginning of the year loaded with exceptional players. Nine McDonald's All-Americans. If you don't know anything about basketball, that's a big deal. Nobody's got nine. Plus another guy, the 10th player, who went number six in this past draft. We were a loaded team. And the question that everybody had about this team is, can the egos coexist? Can they play together? And what was amazing and what we got to witness was this team who adopted a phrase, a phrase that's so beautiful because it says, I am my brother's keeper. Humility was a word they threw around a ton in their, their post and pregame interviews. It was all about elevating the other player above themselves. And they would say, I'm more concerned about his stat line than I am my own. And the world got to witness something incredible as 10, 18, and 19-year-olds decided to make less of themselves and more of the other people on the team. They decided to care more about the betterment of the team and each other than their own, and an historic, a historic season was the outcome. One filled with a 38-game win streak, a Final Four, seven players drafted. And I know those of you guys who are basketball fans are sitting there thinking right now, yeah, but they lost. Believe me, I know. <laughs> and I'm still coming back for Wisconsin next year, right? But what we got to see was something amazing happen. You wouldn't look at a single player on that team and go, wow, their stat line was amazing. You wouldn't look at a single player on that team and say they stood out above the rest. It just didn't happen. They moved into a platoon system where it was five players in and five players out so they could share time, so they could care about others. And because of that, there was victory. And people wanted to be a part of it. It's made recruiting easier. Because here's what meekness does. It elevates the needs of others in a way that brings attention to something. And for us, that something is God's glory and his kingdom. We need to say it's no longer about my stat line, about my pride, but instead it's about my God and his victory. That's what we're called to. And the entire kingdom is better for it. It makes more of others, and others are better for it. Meekness is like this lady that I met in Arizona last year. We were there on a mission trip to the White Mountains, the Apache Reservation. And we went to a church service there. It was a very unique church service, unlike anything I'd really been to before. And we walk in, and it's just sort of chaos. No real order or control. And uh, right at the beginning of the service, the pastor stands up and he says, Hey, before we get going, does anybody have anything they want to say? I thought to myself, Oh no, what have we gotten ourselves into? We will be here all day. But this one lady raises her hand. She says, I, I've, I've got something to say. And she walks up to the front and she grabs the microphone and she looks out at the crowd and she says, you all know, you've heard the story about my nephew, the one who moved in with us. 
the one who we adopted as our own son because he had nowhere else to go. You remember him? The crowd shook their head. Yeah, we remember. And she said, you remember how that other boy took his life? The crowd shook their head. She said, well, that other boy has been tried and prosecuted and justice has been served. And I thought for just a minute, this poor lady, she's going to celebrate justice coming to those who have hurt her. But she didn't. She said, in that moment when I found out, all I could think of is how brokenhearted they must be that they too just lost their son. And so I did the only thing I could think of. And I started cooking and I started baking and I showed up at their house in their moment of weakness, their moment of depression, their moment of need, their moment of hurt. And I served them and I prayed for them. And would you join me in praying for them now? That, my friends, is meekness. That is meekness. To say we care so much more about others that even in our moment of hurt and need, we won't seek justice. Instead, we'll seek serving those who need it. That is meekness. And that is what we're called to. Meekness is like the great heroes of our faith, the greatest leaders in the history of God's kingdom and God's church either were or could be characterized as meek. Moses, one of the greatest leaders in history, led God's people out of slavery, was characterized as meek. Paul, one of the most influential leaders of the early church, of the first church, cared more about raising others above himself and putting God's kingdom on the platform of his life than he did about his own. And ultimately, we see the greatest example of meekness ever, that the God of the universe, the one that was there at the beginning and the one that will be there at the end, the one who healed the sick and healed the blind, the one who cared for all, the one that held the power of the universe in his hand, chose to submit to the Father and say, not my will be done, but yours. And he laid his life down for all. He humbled himself to the point of the cross, to a painful death, to sacrifice his life so that those that he loved may have life. That was Jesus' example of meekness. Are you making more of God and more of others? Because that's what Jesus calls us to. And what we know is that those who choose meekness to make more of God and make more of others and those who have it thrust upon them, God promises us a blessing that we will inherit the earth. And what we also know is that this world that we live in has no inheritance for the meek. There's no award that the world is waiting to hand out to you for choosing to live in submission and humility and gentleness and caring more about others than yourselves. You know, we see these big award shows like the ESPYs and the All-Star Game and the Academy Awards and the Oscars. And we see people thrust into the spotlight and we fool ourselves into thinking that those are the sorts of badges of honor that we should be seeking. But it's simply not true. A lot of people are not going to get awards for the life and this life for what they've done, but rest assured that God notices. He notices your humility, your gentleness, your submission to His will. And He says your reward is great. 
we get to inherit the earth. It's kind of a twofold promise. There's the sense that right now we inherit the earth in our contentment with what we have and who we have to share it with. Because of our dependency on God, we find ourselves content in this world because we know what's coming. You can think of it sort of like a trust fund kid. I grew up with a couple of buddies who had these giant trust funds left by a wealthy uncle or grandfather or whatever. And what they knew was that one day there was a reward coming. And I never saw them stressing out about college funds or buying a new car or how they were going to put a down payment on a house. Because they knew when the moment came that the reward was sitting there waiting for them. They had a contentment in the moment that only came from knowing the promise of what was to come. And we too can have that same contentment. But in the same way, Jesus promises his followers of the faith, a greater understanding of this in the end. Eventually, the trust fund kid comes of age and receives his inheritance. And God says, eventually, The moment will come where you receive your reward and we will inherit all things because we are co-heirs with Christ. Those of us who choose to follow him, who choose meekness. It's only with the true understanding of meekness that we can fully comprehend the plan of God, the contentment of this world, the blessing that is to come for us. Choose to make more of God. Choose to make more of others just as Christ himself showed us. But we have to remember this is in fact a choice that has to be made. To say, God, may I decrease and may you increase. Let's pray. God, as we seek you, God, help us to fully comprehend and understand the goodness of your humility, your grace, and your gentleness. That you've given us the opportunity to follow by example, to participate in the craziness because you went before us into it. And God, for those of us who feel more forced into meekness, bring us a hope that can only come from being in the position that you say there is power and there is a blessing that is to come. And for those of us, God, who have chosen to or maybe need to choose this way, God, grant us grace. God, grant us gentleness as we submit to you as the Lord of our life. God, we are thankful for your example. By showing us the ultimate example of weakness by offering yourself as a sacrifice for all. God, can we find some encouragement in that to follow in your footsteps. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray.